trivial for us to offer everything we have to you. It's just not enough. Lord, we do bring our hearts, Lord. We bring our lives and we lay them down at your feet. We worship and praise and honor your most holy name. We ask, Lord, right now as we go to your word, Lord, that you would be our teacher. Lord, I know nobody's here this morning by chance. We're all brought here by divine appointment. So, Lord, just open our our eyes and soften our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you didn't get a Bible, we still have some at the back. It's always helpful to to have the Word of God in your hands. It'll help you follow along a little bit better. I know Pastor Bill told you if you need a copy of it, please take it home as our gift. We want you guys to have the Word of God. All right. We've been looking at 1 Peter, Peter's letter to the persecuted church of the first century that was scattered due to persecution that took place in Jerusalem. They've given their lives to the Lord, they're walking with the Lord, and then they become persecuted for their faith, so now they've been dispersed. So some time has gone by, the persecution's been kicked up several notches, and because of it, uh, based on the, the context of the letter, it would seem that many of those first century Christians are now because of persecution considering uh, dialing it down if not walking away altogether. So this letter is written by Peter to this first century church as a source of encouragement and exhortation not to dial it down when things get tough, not to walk away from the true and living God. He knew what it was like to deny the Lord and he would be able to tell them it's not worth it, it's a mess. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Now, We're going to take a look at the text this morning, and I want to encourage you that spiritual growth and depth and maturity are not only produced, but are also revealed through trials and suffering. And so this morning, we're getting to a portion of this letter that's really all about suffering. The entire letter is all about persecution. And we're going to look intently at at least five verses and maybe more depending on time, because I want to have a a real uh, thought full time of communion this morning where we don't rush through it we spend some time at the foot of the cross before our savior but as we look at persecution i want all of us to be mindful in our own lives the suffering the trials and the difficulty that they're all there for a reason and that god brought it for a reason he allows it for a reason he's a faithful god and he brings us through it that we might grow spiritually most of us in this room Though we don't suffer the way that they're suffering, the people writing this letter, we have a lot in common with them. And here's what we have in common with them. First and, fo- first and foremost, of course, we're born again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're going to heaven. But we're also, most of us, in the minority where we work, where we live, where we go to school when it comes to being a Christian. Now, some of you, maybe you work in an environment, there's a lot of Christian there. Praise God for that. But most of us living in Santa Cruz that is not a very church or very godly city, most of us go to school with a a predominant amount of people who don't know God. We go to work with a predominant amount of people who don't know God. Some of you, you go home from here, and your family, for the most part, doesn't know God. And so here's here's the exhortation and encouragement to you, is this letter that was written 2,000 years ago to the people that were enduring those same things, guess what? It applies to us as well. We're in that exact same place, in that exact same environment. And so it's important for us to recognize that there's an application in as we read this letter written by Peter. Now, persecution for them is not something we can really compare our lives to for the most part. 
you know, they were being beaten. They were being, some of them martyred, put to death for their faith. And you know what? In this country, praise God, we don't have persecution to that level. But I will say this. Sometimes I think we need a little bit of that because maybe it would wake us up and we'd quit being so lukewarm about our faith. Amen? Sometimes there's this, hey, man, just go with the flow. It's all good, man. You don't have to be so sold out for God. But you know what? Sometimes I think we need a little more of that. First century believers were suffering. And there's going to be two examples in the rest of this chapter. If we get to it this week, great. If not, we'll get to it next week. But the two examples he's going to give them, because we look back and see a greater persecuted people, and we think, well, how does that relate to us? Well, he gives them examples of people that were persecuted more than them. And the two examples are Noah and the Lord. And Noah spent 120 years building a boat, and we know from 2 Peter chapter 2 that he was sharing with them the truth about who God is for 120 years, while building a boat and being mocked for building a boat when it had never rained before. Think about that. And he did that, and how many people got saved? How many people obeyed and listened and heard the word of God and responded to it? Only Seven other people, his wife, his three sons, and his daughter-in-laws, in 120 years of ministry. Whoa. You want to talk about somebody going through persecution, going through difficulty, but there, he's going to be an example as we get toward the end of the text. So, our persecution is far more tame. Maybe it's a harsh word. Maybe it's, you get passed over for a promotion at work because they know you're the Christian guy. You know, maybe at school, you know, you have people mock you if you're, if you're younger and you're in school. And there's things that we face, but it's persecution nonetheless. And God has a way that he wants you and I to deal with it. So we should not be surprised when we, again, are those who are being persecuted for our faith, even when it's to a much lesser degree. Remember that we're in the presence of people who are lost. And we have the answer And they need the answer. Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. And God put us there for a reason. You know, the electric company, you've heard me say this before, doesn't take all the lights in Santa Cruz and put them on one street corner. That would be foolish. Why? Because it'd be one really well-lit corner and the rest of the city would be pitch darkness. They take the, the lights and they spread them out all over the county. And God's done the same thing with us. He spread us out all over this county. And he spread us out so that we might be salt and light exactly where we are. So wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is with us. He desires to speak through us. We're to be the light in the darkness. And God uses us to be a source of conviction. But guys, as we are a source of conviction, we're also going to bring about people that are not real happy about it. We become, you know, when you shine a light into a dark room, you ever gone into your kid's room or you ever been in a room yourself that's really dark and someone turns the light on and you're not quite ready to wake up? How do you feel about that? Turn that light off. But you know what? That's what it's like when you go into a room as that that one Christian in your office or those few Christians in your school or wherever it might be. When you walk in, you bring the light with you. And when you bring it in, guess what? It's irritating the people who want to stay in darkness. Turn that thing off. I don't want to see it. Just leave me alone. Shine it in someone else's eyes. And the truth is that that's who we are because we're born again and we take the Lord with us. And again, this is the situation going on with these first century Christians. And this is the letter being written to them because they become an irritant. And because they have, they're being persecuted. And you and I can, again, 
relate to how and what they're going through. As a spirit-filled believer, we are a source of irritation, but we shouldn't be a source of irritation because of our attitude, but we should be those who come in and love all over people. So we have two choices. We come in and we bring conviction with us. When we bring conviction with us, you, you know what? Do you know that praying over your meal at a restaurant can convict everybody in the building? Do you know that when you just talk about the things of God or have praise music on at the stoplight or, you know, God can use some of the simplest things to grab a hold of someone's heart and to bring conviction. And now conviction has come and they got two choices. Repent, turn their life over to the Lord, get right with God, or they can try to remove the source of conviction. And in this case, that's you. You know what? You're a source of conviction. I don't like it. Leave me alone. We've all had people. I had a, a really close friend in high school. If I started to begin to talk to him about Jesus Christ, he would act like a crazy man. And I'm not kidding. I just start, hey, bro, you know, don't, 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 don't. I mean, just, bro, it's okay. I'm not going to stab you, nothing. I mean, I just want to talk. Don't talk to me about that. I mean, now guess what? I've often said this, and I believe it's true. When you take a rock and you throw it into a, you know, a pack of dogs, the one you hit is the one that barks the loudest. And the same is true with the gospel. You start sharing your faith, the person that protests the most is usually the one convicted the most. Amen? It's the ambivalent one I'm most worried about. It's the one that's, oh, because conviction does that. It quickens the heart. So that brings us to this morning's text. Again, in the midst of persecution, they're trying to be silenced. Again, the easiest thing to do would it be, well, you know, Lord, I'm suffering. I'm just going to be quiet so I don't have to suffer anymore. Lord, uh, you know, I could potentially lose my life. Maybe for you, I missed out on a job promotion. Or the kids at school won't hang out with me. Or my neighbors think I'm a religious fanatic on the street. So I'm just going to dial it down so I can fit in better with the world. And this is the heart of those receiving this letter. And we're going to see just how Peter addresses it. So, as born-again, spirit-filled new creations in Christ, we're to be radically different than the world in our words, our thoughts, our actions, and we should have a different perspective than the world. So if you're a note-taker, here's the, here's the outline for the message. title of the message is, When You Are Persecuted by the World. And it's not if, it's when. When you are persecuted by the world. Five points. Number one, it is a blessing, not a curse. When you are persecuted by the world, we're going to see it is a blessing, not a curse. It's not something to complain about, but something to rejoice in. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. It's the midst of trials and difficulty that we get to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Number two, when you are persecuted by the world, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Guys, Christians' fear ought to be removed from our vocabulary. You know why? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? Now, can we still struggle with fear? Of course, because we get in our flesh. But guys, our God is greater. Number three, when you're persecuted by the world, it's an opportunity for you to defend the truth. One of the greatest opportunities you're going to have to share your faith is when you're being persecuted and how you respond to it. Number four, when you're persecuted by the world, you have an opportunity to display His character. And then finally, When you're persecuted by the world, it's far better to suffer from the world for doing good than to face God's righteous judgment. So let's begin in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3, picking up where we left off last week. When you're persecuted by the world, it is a blessing and not a curse. And it says there in verse 13, 
And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Peter is writing to those who are wanting to hide out, camp out, or run back to Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, he says, who in the world is it that you're afraid of? Who in the world is it that is going to harm you? This is a word of confidence in the sovereignty of God. Guys, do you know that God is in control? He is completely and totally in control. If he let go for a nanosecond, this place would fall apart. All the worlds would crash together. They don't have to worry about global warming. They need to worry about God just, all right, I'm done with you. But he won't do that. Praise God for his grace. Amen? We know that from his word. But we see here, the exhortation to them is, who is it that will harm you? If you guys obey me, who's going to hurt you? If you obey me, who's going to come against you? Now you might say, well, they might have said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been obeying you, and some of us have been put to death. We've been obeying you, and we've been persecuted for our faith. We've been obeying you. We had to leave our homes and our families behind and move to a faraway land because we were afraid of being killed. What do you mean, who can harm us? You want us to write down the names of the people, or what do you need? Because we certainly have faced faced it. God has given us his word, and he's given it to us that we might grow spiritually. And again, God has called these guys to follow him and to obey him and to trust what he has told them in his word. And our loving Heavenly Father does not want you to be harmed. Do you understand that? Guys, the world portrays God as being some, you know, long white beard with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake, right? Oh, saw that? You know, that, that's not the God we serve. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy who desires that none should perish, no, not one. And he says, look, if you follow me and you obey me, who in the world is it that's going to harm you? Now, we're going to talk about this as we continue through. Certainly some harm does come to believers. But guys, it's only if God allows it. It's only if God allows it. Satan can't do anything without God's permission. Amen? Man, we are napping this morning, or what's happening? So who will harm you? Speaks of a fearless confidence. The word harm is to injure, to hurt, to bring evil against you. But notice again that God is sovereign. But there is a condition to his promise. Look what he says. Who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? The word follower there means it's the word mimic, to mimic. If you mimic me, who's going to bring harm to you? But notice, he's telling them that this promise of him watching over them requires that they obey him. Now guys, we're going to talk about this as we get to time of communion. You're forgiven. Your sins are washed away past, present, and future. Amen? And you can't do anything more to be forgiven. But when we disobey God, our sin still has consequences even after we've been born again. Amen? So what the condition he's saying here is, look, who is going to harm you if you walk in obedience, if you do what is good, if you follow after me, if you mimic me, who in the world is going to harm you? The answer is no one unless he allows it. And sometimes he does. God goes far beyond a a half-hearted attempt. He doesn't want a half-hearted attempt at obeying him. Guys, he doesn't want us to just give him a little bit of who we are. Guys, he didn't give us a little bit of who he is. 
He went to the cross and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. He didn't give us some, he surrendered all. And we need to have that same heart toward him. Surrendering our lives completely. And we are to do it in a way that really speaks of a hunger and a passion to walk in faithful obedience to him. As a believer continues to pursue God and walk in faithful obedience to him, he can trust that even in the midst of the greatest persecution and attacks from the world, that God is in control. But look at the next verse. Because it almost would seem to contradict the first verse. Because he says, who's going to harm you if you do good? Who's going to come against you if you mimic me and follow me and imitate me? Who in the world can touch you? I'm God. I'm greater. But then he says this in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Now wait a minute. I thought he just said I wasn't going to suffer. That's not what it said. What it said was, who can touch you? Who can harm you if you follow me? And the answer is, no one unless God allows it. Nobody can unless God allows it. And we need to understand that God will allow it at times because, guys, it's not about us being comfortable, but it's about God being glorified. Our lives are not to be, how easy can it be for me? How can I be on the cruise ship to heaven? How can I never go through a trial? You know, one of the ways you won't go through very many trials is be lukewarm, don't speak up for your faith, and make sure no one ever finds out you're a Christian. Now, guess what? You will have a walk that has no fruit, and you will stand before God on Judgment Day and be grieved to the depths of your heart that you did not take this life and use it for His glory. Again, you can have a saved soul and a wasted life, but I certainly wouldn't want to live like that. You know what? Because by our fruit they shall know us. Amen? And so the, the word here, again, is telling this, these people in the midst of great persecution, yes, no one can harm you unless I say so, but if you should suffer... You're blessed. Now, go tell that to somebody who's in the midst of great suffering. It sounds really good if you just came out of it or you're not in it right now and things are really good. And, and doesn't it bother you sometimes when you feel like people come across with platitudes when they have no idea what you're going through? And you look at them like, dude, yeah, okay, it sounds good for you. You know, I, I, I'm talking about I'm lonely, I want to be married. You've been married 25 years. Yeah, nice try, thanks a lot. You know, I have, I have people sometimes do that because they feel like you can't relate to what they're going through. But guys, as the Lord is sharing with them, even if you should suffer, you are blessed. Even as they're, they want to quit witnessing and avoid persecution and run back to the old life, again, there's this this time of doubt and questioning. God is exhorting them that guess what? Being a Christian, part of being a Christian includes persecution. Part of being a Christian means trials will come into your life. Part of being a Christian means you're going to have to surrender. It means you're going to have to die to your flesh daily. You're going to have to come to a place where you surrender completely to the Lord. That's part of the Christian walk. That's part of becoming more and more like our Savior. So here we see the suffering and enduring. God does say that you may have to go through it and you'll be blessed. Guys, it's not a result of God's lack of love for you that you go through persecution. And it's not some kind of punishment because you've been unfaithful. But on the contrary, I believe it reflects God's great confidence that he can use you. Think about that. You going through a trial and you may look at other people and think, man, I've gone through a lot of trials. They haven't gone through very many. The very thing could be that God has brought you to a place of spiritual maturity where you can go through the trial and still glorify God and he knows he can use you so he allows it to happen. 
Guys, you are blessed. And I know it's hard to hear that sometimes, but you're in the midst of persecution, you're blessed. Do you also realize that Satan's resources are limited? He is not God. He's not the opposite of God. He's toast compared to God. Amen? He doesn't come close to God. He doesn't compare to God. He's not a, 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 an nymph compared to God. Nothing. But I'll say this. We know he's evil. We know he was the most beautiful of the angels. If he's the opposite of anybody, it may be Michael or Gabriel, one of the archangels. But he can't be everywhere at once. A third of the angels fell with him. So he does have the demonic realm that, you know, works with him. So he can't be everywhere at once. So guess what? If he picks you out and asks permission like he did with, with Job, you know, look at my servant Job, and God says, well, you know, Satan says, well, yeah, he, he serves you because everything's perfect. You know, let me stir him up. And let's see how he does. And God said to Satan, okay, you can have him. You just can't kill him. And if you know the story of Job, his whole family outside of his wife, which he kind of wished had gone with the rest of them, if you know that story. Because everybody's dead, he's sitting on an ash heap, he's covered in boils, and his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks for the help, mate, Lord, I really appreciate it. But you know, the, the point is that we see that Job was used mightily by God because he was a man of God who God knew that he could bring through a trial, bring through a test, encouraged and equipped by the Holy Spirit, and come through it glorifying and honoring God. Guys, you might say, well, man, I don't want to be that spiritually mature. I mean, how about the get out of hell free card in the wallet and a little, you know, a flat tire once in a while. I can, I can roll with that. But God, you know, come on. Don't give me anything harder than that. Guys, we need to get to the place where we surrender our lives completely. He's looking for those. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. He's looking for men and women who say, Lord, here I am, use me. And he doesn't care how old you are, how young you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, how gifted you are, how talented you are. It's not ability, it's availability that God's looking for. Because he's the one that does the work. Amen? If you're too able, you might take the credit. He just as soon takes someone who's not as able. So you are blessed. And it says this in the Word, in Matthew, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. So, oh, how happy are you if they persecute you? Means God wants to use you. Who are the people that we look at in Scripture as the greatest examples outside of the Lord Himself, of course? One of my favorites is Daniel. You know, Daniel ends up where? In a lion's den. But you know, whenever I tell that story, I never think, poor Daniel. Do you? I never think, poor, poor Daniel. Poor Daniel, all he did was keep praying. And because he kept praying, he got thrown in the lion's den. You know what I think? Faithful Daniel. Man used mightily by God, Daniel, because we know what happened, that God delivered him out of that lion's den, and King Darius then made a decree that everybody from that point forward could only worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How did that happen? Daniel stood up for God and got thrown in the lion's den. Why was he thrown there? Because God knew he could trust him, and God knew he could use him. Lord, it's a prayer we don't want to pray. But Lord, bring us to the place where we say, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life to bring glory to your name, do it. Lord, whatever is necessary, be it my health, be it my finances, be it my, Lord, I lay it all at your feet. 
like Abraham with Isaac, if you were here a few weeks ago, willing to sacrifice his son, the son of promise. Lord, bring us to that place where we're no longer satisfied with lukewarm Christianity. Bring us to that place where it's not Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Bring us to a place where we serve you 24-7. Suffering for righteousness' sake, being persecuted by the world. That's what happens, but God allows it to use it for his glory. So, point number one, when you're persecuted by the world, it's not a curse, it's a blessing. And we're going to see why as we continue on. It's an opportunity now for you to stand up for the Lord. Point number two, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Look what it says in verse 14. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now he's telling them that because they're obviously being threatened, right? If God says don't be afraid of their threats, it's because they're being threatened and they are afraid. And the Lord's coming along and, you know, through Peter and saying, don't be afraid of their threats. They can't do anything to you unless I allow it. And if I allow it, you're not cursed, you're blessed, and I'm going to be glorified through your life. So praise God. Boy, that's an eternal perspective that you're not going to sell a whole lot of books right in that, are you? That's not you know, going to be on the 10 bestseller list. Oh, suffering for God. Hey, that sounds really good. How do I sign up for that program? How do, I, how do I sign up to laying down my life completely to him? But he says, do not be afraid. The possibility of suffering for doing good should not make us shrink back from doing good. The fact that, okay, if I serve God, it may mean that I'm going to be persecuted even more. That should not cause us to pull back, but to press in. Words are great encouragement and exhortation in the time of temptation not to shrink back. The word there says, nor be troubled. The word trouble there is stirred up or agitated. I got convicted when I read that. You ever get agitated when you're being persecuted? Am I the only one? Do I need to just totally repent before all of you and ask you for your... But you know, we go through tough times and sometimes we just get frustrated, don't we? And he's saying, look, don't be fearful, but not only do you, should you not be afraid, don't get agitated. Don't get stirred up. Don't try to strike back. Don't, ah! But that's our flesh, isn't it? And he's exhorting them, don't be fearful. As Christians, we need never fear men. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And a mature believer in the midst of persecution is not fearful or frightened or in awe. He's not stirred up or agitated, but walking by faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, that, Jesus said and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Guys, the only one we should fear is God. Amen? Awe, reverence, honor, fear of him. We need not fear any man. You know you're indestructible until God's through with you. You're not going to die one nanosecond before or one nanosecond after God foreordained before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that? Now, that doesn't mean go play on the freeway. The Bible says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen? <laughs> if you go play on the freeway, he knew you were going to, and he foreordained for the foundation of the world, that truck was going to hit you. So don't do that. Amen? But the point is that we can really come to a place, again, this is heavy-duty persecution. I've left everything behind. You've got to understand, Nero's raising the power. You know, Christians being fed to lions. This is getting gnarly. And the exhortation is, don't pull back, don't dial it down, don't shriek away, don't walk away, step up. 
Be more faithful. These people need the Lord. That's why they act the way that they do. So when you're persecuted by the world, it's a blessing, not a curse. You have nothing to fear, and it is an opportunity for you to defend the truth. Look at verse 15. So don't shrink away, don't be afraid, but instead do this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The word sanctify there means to have reverence for, to set aside as holy. Jesus is to be the center of your life. Amen? That was really weak. Jesus is to be the center of your life. Amen? Amen. Guys, we don't give him part of who we are. You know, I love what a youth pastor friend of mine used to say. Are you married to Jesus? Have you fallen in love with the Lord? Is he the passion of your life? Guys, anything short of that, we need to be light that fire again. We need to stoke it again. We need to draw near unto him again. I know we have visitors here today. Some of you are thinking, man, these guys are like, act like Jesus is the only thing that matters. You know what? That's true. Amen? Because where you are with him is the only thing that will matter on judgment day. Nothing, he won't care how much you bench pressed, how much money you made, how pretty you were, what kind of car you drove. He won't care about your, your, your uh, hobbies or skills or talents or irrelevant. It'll be, what have you done with my son? What have you done with my son? Enter in my good and faithful servant or department for me, for I know you not. And so the exhortation is, look, in the midst of the trial, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set him apart in your heart. Make him preeminent in your heart. Make him the love, the passion, the thoughts, everything about you focused on him. Guys, can I, can I encourage you that there are times we can get so close to the Lord that literally every word that comes out of our mouth is running through the Holy Spirit filter first. Amen? Every thought, everything we do, it's just a constant, non-stop walking with God. And guys, there's no better place to be than that. There's no better place of joy and comfort. In times of great persecution, it's so easy to get our eyes on our circumstances and the size of the enemy. To go to the world seeking out counsel. To pursue my own selfish desires. To run and hide. But Peter instead says, if this persecution is to affect you, Let it not drive you from him, but closer to him. It's this whole exhortation here is, look, when the persecution comes, and it's coming, don't make it cause you to run from him, but to run to him. I know so many people in this room right now have gone through the most difficult year of your life. Some of you are still in the middle of it right now, and guess what? He doesn't want you to run from him, but run to him. And he will comfort you, and he will be a source of of encouragement and strength. He's a faithful God. He weeps with those who weep. And He loves you. In the midst of persecution, we find our peace, our hope, our rest in Him. Because it's so easy. Again, when persecution comes, the first question we're tempted to say is, why me? Why, Lord? Why did you let this happen? When you witness to people, isn't that a common question? Well, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Do you hear that a lot? You know why? Not because of God, but because of sinful man, that's why. If God was not involved, the whole world would be far worse. And again, those who are here during the Great Tribulation will find out just what it's like without God around. It's His grace and His mercy that holds things together. The last part there is actually quoting 
but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 8. And I went and I looked it up and I found this interesting. Then Isaiah chapter 8 where he says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he shall be a sanctuary to you. Now here's what's interesting. He's saying this in Isaiah chapter 8. And in that text what's happening is the king of Judah, a man by the name of Ahaz, had two enemies. North of him was Israel and south of him was Syria. And so he had a great idea to go to the kingdom of Assyria, a bunch of godless people, and to pay them a bunch of money to come help him against his enemies. And then the response from God was, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, let him be your fear. Look, don't go to men, don't go to the world, come to me. And that's the context of this verse. He's saying to these guys at the same time, you want to run from the world. You want to hide out. You want to pull away. You want to shrink away. You want to back away. And the exhortation is don't run from me. Run to me. Seek me out. Turn to no one else but to me. And then he says this, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Boy, this is a great verse. And if you underline verses in your Bible, you should underline that one. Notice though, people quote that verse a lot, but isn't it significant when you understand the context? The context is we're being persecuted. We may lose our lives. In the midst of persecution, as we stand up for God, he says, be ready. Guys, In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulty, as I said before, I believe that's the greatest opportunity for you to share the hope of Christ with somebody who's lost. Because they watch you when other people return reviling for reviling, and you don't. Other people try to overcome evil with evil, and you try to overcome it with good. You respond to anger with kindness. You respond to to envy with love. And they see that and they wonder, what in the world is going on with you? And in the midst of what's going on in your life, they show up and say, how in the world is it that you can have hope in the midst of all of this? And then he says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, but just think about it. If you walked out of here right now, and you went down to Safeway, and you walked in and there was someone standing in the middle of an aisle weeping. And you walked over to them and they, they're standing at their cart. Their life is falling apart. And they say, you know what? I just need God in my life and I don't, even know, I don't even know what to do. My life is a mess. Would you know how from the word of God to lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't, you need to, you need to find out how. Amen? Now the Holy Spirit draws them. We don't save anybody. You understand that, right? We can't, it's not our great argument that gets somebody saved. It's not you overcoming all the objections and being a better salesman for God than the enemy is for, for Satan, right? That's not how it works. But we are tools in the hands of the master. And we water, don't we? The Bible says some plant, some water, some reap a harvest. And we need to be ready in the middle of it when someone comes to us and asks us the question, how in the world is it that you are so different than everybody else when we're all about to be laid off? Why is everybody else in panic mode and you walk around here with joy? What is up with that? Why are you different? How in the world is it that you can respond in such a way? Maybe... 
where you work again, you're being passed over for promotions. Maybe at your school, the kids are laughing at you. And again, God will often allow that trial to, to bring about the opportunity. So the word there, be ready, the word means be prepared. So guys, we should be living every day in anticipation of sharing our faith. I saw a quote by, by Mueller, and he said this. He said, heaven forbid that I ever spend 15 minutes with somebody and not share the gospel. Ooh, I was convicted. How about you? Some of us, we've worked with people five years, and we've never shared the gospel. We've been next door to the same person for 10 years, and we've never shared the gospel. But guys, if we love them, shouldn't there be a greater sense of urgency? Shouldn't we be ready to share with them the hope that lies within us? Be ready. Be prepared. Peter knew what it meant to be ready. Many times he was put on the spot and had to share his faith. He relied on the Holy Spirit, but he also was ready when God brought the opportunity. How do you get ready? Spend time in the Word and pray for the opportunities. Guys, pray every morning. Lord, bring a divine appointment my way and let me recognize it. Lord, give me an opportunity at work. Start praying for your coworkers by name and watch what God does. My boss went to Calvary Chapel San Mateo last Sunday. I am so stoked I can hardly stand it. And you know what? It was a lot of really loving on her and ministering to her and encouraging her. And she went. She goes, boy, they sing a long time. But you know, she said, she said, she said she's going to go back. So pray for her. Her name's Michelle. But the point is this, that God has put us there for a reason. God has brought us into that environment. We need to be ready. We need to be praying for the opportunity. And when it comes, let's not dial it down. Let's not be quiet about it. Let's share it with a great amount of love and joy. Guys, we're going to heaven. It doesn't get any better than that. We've got the antidote to the death serum. Amen. And everybody needs it, and we need to not hide it under a bushel or stick it in a drawer and lock it up. We need to walk around and look for the opportunity to share with people the hope that lies within us. Santa Cruz needs Jesus. And God brought us here to be salt and light of this place. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to know what the word of God says. So when are we to be ready? He says when? Always be ready. You know what, isn't it amazing how often the opportunity to share your faith comes at the very moment you're not ready? When you have no desire, when you are just plain tired, when it's been a long day, and God, don't you know how tired I am? I just want to go home right now. In our weakness, he is made strong. I've shared this story before, but we got new, you know, years ago, I went on a sales call, you, some of you have heard this 10 times, so forgive me, but I ran into a 7-Eleven down in the San Fernando Valley. It was 100 and some odd degrees. I, my appointment ran late. I was dying of thirst. I ran in to get, you know, a super big gulp or whatever. And when I was going in, I noticed a guy standing at the door, and the guy was pretty tore up. His skin didn't look right. His shirt was more whole than shirt. And, you know, I, I ran in, kind of avoided eye contact. I know none of you have ever done that. But I avoided eye contact you know, ran into the place, got my big gulp, ran out to the car. And as I'm getting in my car and backing out, I feel the Lord, Holy Spirit, not out loud, but Dave, you need to go talk to him about me. But Lord, I, I have an appointment with five attorneys, a sales, and it's, I'm already going to be late. And I made this appointment two months ago. And these guys are, st don't argue with God. That's really stupid. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, telling God why. So I start driving down the street. I get to the driveway, and I feel the Lord, you know, now the voice is getting a little bit louder. 
Go back and talk. But Lord, I'll, you know what? I'll be at that appointment. I'll come back by here. on. And Lord, if you want me to talk to him, have him stay here. I mean, you know, you can do that. I start driving down Van Nuys Boulevard away from the 7-Eleven, and now, Holy Spirit head slap me. Maybe you've never, it's like, Dave, go back and tell me. I mean, literally. You think that's why I got no hair back here? That's what, a lot of conviction. So now my heart is not in the right place, but I whip a Yui and I go back to 7-Eleven. I throw the door open in my car. I keep tracks in my door. I still do. And I pull a track out of my door and I literally like, it was pathetic. I lean forward and I go, hey bro, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. God bless you, man. Here's a, and I gave him a dollar and a track. You know, I hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you. And I'm like, you know, keeping one foot in the car. I don't want him to, you know, I got an appointment. You understand? I got important stuff. I got it. I don't remember the name of that attorney, but, you know, because it doesn't matter in eternity. Amen. But as soon as I handed it to him, I got near him. He kind of fell into my arms. He started to weep. And as I'm holding him up and he's shuddering, he told me, he pointed to a building across the street. I found out that he had slept in the wrong place sometime earlier and people had set him on fire. That's why his skin was all messed up. He had fingers missing. He was not a, a real pretty sight. But he said, he had one hand that was good, and he said, I was sitting behind that building. I had a gun pointed to my head. And I said, God, if you're real, then show yourself to me. And I walked across the street. I sat down and you came and told me that Jesus loves me. That's a divine appointment. And the sad part is, I hate to tell you, a lot of times I've kept driving. How about you? When the conviction has come, I would have missed it completely. Praise God, we able, I met with him a few times, got him plugged into a church. I don't know what happened. But you know, guys, that's every day in our lives. I believe that. How about you? I believe those are divine appointments and we miss them. I know that I do. I know there's other times when I've been told to do it and I didn't do it. But this one always sticks out of my mind because had I kept driving, maybe he would have taken his life. But God is so faithful, isn't he? And that God would use me and even you. We need to be always ready. Always ready. Always available. Even when you're tired. Even when it's been a long day. Be ready. To share the hope that lies within you. To give a defense. The word defense there is apologia, where we get the word apologetics. Now, apologetics does not mean to apologize. We don't apologize for Christianity, amen? What it means is to give a thoughtful defense of the faith. To give an organized and thoughtful defense of the faith. So we are always to be ready to give a thoughtful and organized defense of the faith. Guys, we should know what we believe why we believe it, and how to share the gospel in a very clear way. And if you don't know and you want to, you can come talk to one of the pastors after service, and we will go through it with you anytime. You know what? We probably ought to have some evangelism classes. Amen? Because that's something that we all are called to do, which is to share our faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with studying the cults and being prepared to minister to them. There's nothing wrong with studying other religions. But can I say this? spend a hundred times as much time in your Bible as you do doing anything else, amen? Because the best way to refute the lie is to know the truth. And if you know the truth, it doesn't, whatever they say, you're going to be able to give that defense of that hope that lies within you. It says, to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you, be ready at all times to speak to anyone. God will bring them your way. It's amazing how God will bring them our way. I'm sitting in my cubicle. 
I think it was Tuesday of this week, I'm sitting in my cubicle, a new guy came to our office, most of you guys know I work full time, a new guy came to our office, I had never met him in my life, he walks over to my desk, he introduced himself and he says, now you're a pastor, right? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, I am. He starts weeping and he said, here's what I'm going through and you know, I just need to talk to somebody. I didn't do, I didn't do, I was sitting there, I didn't do anything, you know, but you know what? Pray in the morning for the opportunity, and God will bring it. And you know, God is so good. He just had an opportunity to really love on that guy and minister to him, and he wants me to start a Bible study at work, and so in my free time, we'll be doing that as well. But, <laughs> but guys, the great thing about this is that the Lord is with us, and we do have a hope, a hope that the world doesn't have. And he says, always be ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in you. Guys, we have hope because we have Christ. We understand what life is all about. We know where we're going to spend eternity. We know the true and living God. Guys, our eyes have been opened. We're no longer blind. Now we can see and we need to be ready to share that at all times. And then he says, notice how we're to share it. Here's how you're to share it. With meekness and fear. That means you don't, Meekness is strength under control of your master. It's with gentleness and kindness. Guys, we do not share our faith from a self-righteous and arrogant attitude. Amen? You know who that's being? That's being Satan-like. Because he's prideful, right? That's why he wanted to be God in heaven. Guys, we have nothing to be prideful about. If we boast in anything, we boast in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And the exhortation here is, be ready, but not only be ready, have the right heart when you do it. Don't hold one leg out of your car and throw out a track at a guy. Don't give him five seconds of your time. Go with the right heart, with kindness. And then it says fear. The fear there is the fear of God. There's a lie being told today, don't buy into it, that your faith is a private matter. You heard that before? Now my faith, that's private. That works really good unless you read the Bible. Because there's the great commission, amen? And we're to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So your faith, if it's a private matter, you're in sin. Because it should not be private. We should be shouting it from the mountaintops, amen? It's private when we don't care about whether or not other people come to know Jesus Christ. And that means we're self-centered and we've missed it. And the exhortation here is, with meekness, in the fear of God, share your faith with great boldness. Don't be ashamed. Guys, it's not just what we say, but how we say it. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. As long as we remember that, that at one point we were a beggar and another beggar who knew where the bread was came along and led us there. And now that we know where the bread is, it doesn't make us better or greater than the other beggars. It just makes us the ones that know where it is and the ones who are called by God to bring everybody else there. Amen? One beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Testify to what God has done in your life. Do it with meekness and fear. Point number four. When you're persecuted by the world, not only have an opportunity to defend your faith in the words you speak, but also in the actions you take. Guys, Do people think Christians are hypocrites today? You know why they do? Because they say one thing and they live something else. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, yeah. Okay, I knew a Christian before and that guy. You know, I I went to business with a Christian. He ripped me off, man. He had a Christian fish in his head. I called him up. He ripped me off. 
And you know what happens is they take the actions of one person and allow that to, in their mind, bring harm to the entire Christian faith. And we all know they shouldn't look at Christians, they need to look at Christ. Amen? But they are looking at Christians, and that's us. And so it's not just our words, but our actions. And here's the truth. The more and more that I walk with the Lord, the more and more I realize it's more my actions than my words. Because if my actions live it out, then they'll ask to hear the words, amen? But if the words are there and the actions, it's, oh, you're another hypocrite. We'll drive people away from God instead of draw them to him. Look at verse 16. It says, so we do this with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Here's the point. He's saying live in such a way, you know, the best defense against false accusations is to live a godly life. The best way for there not to have an accusation against you or bring harm to the kingdom of God is to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And the exhortation here is, hey, be ready to give a defense, but live it out. Have a good conscience. That means have a right standing before God. Be able to lay down at night and know that no matter what accusation the world hurls at you, you're right with the Lord, and that's the only one that counts. Now, guys, we need to be concerned about a reputation not for ourselves, but for God, that his name would not be harmed, that he would be glorified. Guys, it is hard to stand back. When we're falsely accused, don't we want to just step up? Don't we want to fight for our rights? And if I hear that again from a we need to fight for our rights. No, we don't. Let God do it. He'll do a better job, amen? He's way better at it. He's way more faithful. We trust him. And so the exhortation again is have a good conscience that when they defame you. So when the world says, that guy, he's an evildoer, that guy. And you know what's going to happen is over time as they watch your life, they're going to be ashamed that they even said it because you're living a life so set apart to God. Not just your words, but your actions. You know, I love the fact that you know, there are people in our office that talk about other Christians that work there. And I love to hear them talk about them. I love to hear them say things like, you know who the nicest, kindest, most generous people are in, a, in the office are? It's the Christians. And I think, oh, Lord, that's so good. Lord, help us to stay there. Not so that anybody will be impressed with us, but Lord, then we share Jesus with them. They'll say, you know what? I've seen him in your life. Now I believe it in your words. Amen? It's got to go beyond just what we talk but how we walk, have a good conscience. Those who revile your con- good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Proclaim to know God and live unco- ungodly, you bring shame to his name, but live for him and you can bring glory to his name. Last point, when you're per- persecuted by the world, it's far better to suffer persecution from the, from the world for doing good than to face God's righteous judgment for doing evil. Look at the last verse, it says, for it is better... If it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know what this tells me? Suffering is a part of life. Amen? And you're either going to suffer because you are standing up for God and you're being persecuted by the world, or you're going to suffer the consequences of sinful behavior and the judgment that comes for the Lord. And it's far better... If you're going to go through trials of life, to go through them with the Lord on your side than to have him be the one bringing the judgment. Amen? And that's the encouragement here. Remember, they're sitting in their homes. 
Their friends are being persecuted. Some have no doubt been put to death. Martyrdom is there. They're afraid for their families. They're contemplating running back home. And the word comes to them, it's better to suffer for standing for God. It's better to suffer along with the Lord on his side than to suffer because you've abandoned him. As you're thinking about running home, as you're thinking about dialing it back, know that suffering will come, but it will come from the hands of God instead of the hands of the world. Guys, we're not on the cruise ship, amen? Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. It's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. That's what, and you know what? The, and God will prevail. I'm so glad that we have the whole book. I'm glad there's no more chapters coming, no more novel. We read Revelation, we win. God wins. We're going to heaven. He's in control. He's faithful. So let's be busy about it while we still can. Amen? If we're going to suffer, let's suffer for doing good. So when you're persecuted by the world, it is a blessing and not a curse. You have nothing to fear. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. Again, when he allows the, 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 the trials to come, often it's because he knows he can use you. It is an opportunity for you to defend the truth. Again, everybody's watching, and they're really watching when the trials come. It's an opportunity to display his character. So to represent him in our words, but also in our actions. And then finally, it is far better to suffer persecution from the world for doing good than to face God's righteous judgment for doing evil. Now, I'm going to close by just reading the next verse as we prepare for communion. Because we look at suffering, and sometimes we think, Well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow that to happen in my life. But guys, who's the greatest example of suffering ever? Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. Guys, He suffered once for our sins. Here's the good news. He died on the cross. Your sins are washed away, past, present, and future. Aren't you glad? And then it says, but I love this part too, the just for the unjust. Sometimes we feel like, Lord, why am I having to suffer? Why am I having to go through the trial to be able to minister to some ungodly person? Guess what? Jesus Christ did it far more than you did. And if we are to be his followers and we're to be willing to say, Lord, use my life. And even if I'm unjustly treated, Lord, bring it on that you might be glorified. But then he says this, and I love this word, to bring us to God. The word bring there is to give access. You know what he does? He died on the cross. He paid the price and he allowed you and I to have access to God the Father. Sinful, vile people like you and me. Amen. We're all sinners. Everybody in this room, if you're new here and you didn't know that, you're a sinner. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. He paid the price and he's willing to wash it all away right now. And he paid it. Here's the good news. He said it's finished. There's no more work to be done. There's nothing else we do to earn salvation. We're born again. We're going to heaven. We should have good works in our life, as we've been talking about this morning. But it's not to earn salvation. It's fruit of salvation. You and I have access to the Father through the Son. Amen? And he, he did that for us on the cross of Calvary. So what we're going to do this morning, a little bit different, I'm going to have the pastors come up and actually pass out the elements. And then I want us to just take a moment I want each of us to, you know, you look back to the cross, remember the cross of Calvary, look within and examine your own heart before the Lord. And Jesus said at that last supper that we're going to do this with him in heaven one day. 
And so as they're passed out, I just want you to take and hold the elements, spend some time with the Lord, and then at the end, uh, when everybody's got the elements, we'll take it together as a church, okay? Let me say this too. If you're new here, the Lord loves you, and he died for you. And you can have a relationship with him right now. We're not asking you to join a church, to join a club, none of that. Being a part of Calvary Chapel is irrelevant. We don't even have membership here. You show up, you're a part of the family. But communion is for believers. And we're not to take it unless we've already given our life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, we'll have pastors up here and you can come. I'll be up here. You can come and talk to me. And I can pray with you and you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. For the rest of us, communion we're doing in remembrance of the cross of Calvary and what he did for us. His body broken, his blood shed, and he's risen and living. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. You are such a faithful God. And Lord, I do pray you would put an urgency in our hearts to share the hope that lies within us. Father, forgive us for being undercover Christians. Forgive us, Lord, for being shy about our faith. Lord, I do pray that in our weakness you would be made strong. Maybe our personalities were not very outgoing. Lord, I pray that we would pray more for opportunities, that we would pray more for divine appointments where you just bring them right into our path. And Lord, that you would give us boldness. Father, as we go to this time of communion, I pray it would be a time of us just sitting at your feet, unhurried, not taking the cross of Calvary for granted. Lord, truly meditating on all that you've done for us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.